Are you ready to be YouTube famous? You're a voice actor. You're an entrepreneur. You're a VOpreneur. Welcome to the Everyday VOpreneur Podcast, your guide through the business of voiceover. Having your voiceover demos easily playable and downloadable on your website is essential. The VoiceSam player lets you do that across any device and browser. There are also options for adding play buttons in your email signature, tracking your listens, and even putting videos in your demo player. Sign up now at voicesam.com slash markscott and receive an instant $25 credit. For full details and to claim this offer, visit voicesam.com slash markscott. The VOpreneur Podcast. Hey, it doesn't suck. Not as funny as Conan. Not as cute as Seth Meyers. Not as smart as Colbert. But he's one of us, and that counts for something. Here's Mark Scott, the original everyday VOpreneur. Hello, and welcome to the Everyday VOpreneur Podcast, your guide through the business of voiceover. I'm Mark Scott, the original everyday VOpreneur, and you know what's about to happen. More actionable practical advice. Information that you can use to start growing your voiceover business in one way or another. And of course, this episode is going to be no different. If you're enjoying the podcast, could you just do me one quick favor? Would you share this episode on one of your social media channels, whether it's on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, wherever? Share this episode. Let other folks know that you're listening and let them know what you're learning. I would really appreciate it if you would take a minute to just share this episode. This time around, we're going to talk about the second largest search engine on the internet, which also happens to be the biggest video platform on the internet, and that is YouTube. It's hard to believe that YouTube has been around for 20 years. That blows my mind. But here we are with all of this video content out there and voice actors trying to figure out how can we take advantage of this platform? Are there ways as a voice actor that I can take advantage of this platform? I think by the time that you are done listening to this episode, you're going to have some ideas of how you can make that happen, how you can implement YouTube into your marketing efforts and maybe become the next YouTube star. Every time we post a video on YouTube, we hope it's going to be the viral sensation that makes us famous. And it is possible, but I think there's a little bit more nuance to success on YouTube than simply just clicking upload. My guest today has done pretty well for himself on the platform. His own YouTube channel has over 14,000 subscribers and close to 300,000 views. He's also the voice of a couple of YouTube channels with subscriber counts in the millions. Other credits include 20th Century Fox, Boeing, and Google. Welcome to the show, Hunter Peterson. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. It is very full circle to be here. Um, as a baby VO in 2016, when I first got into VO, this was one of the podcasts that helped me, you know, really convince myself, hey, I want to do this. So the fact that I'm here is incredibly humbling. So thanks so much for having me. Well, I'm really excited to learn from you. And I know that you've got a lot of information to share. So oh, I do. let's just dive into this because what I'm assuming is that all we need to do with YouTube is just record videos, upload, oh. cross our fingers and hope for the best, right? <laughs> oh my God, if it was that easy. If only it was that easy. Because, you know, think about YouTube and where it started. YouTube is an invention from 2006. And for most people, we think about YouTube from that time. The very first video on YouTube was A Day at the Zoo. And it was literally just 
exactly that. It was a guy in front of some elephants talking about, hey, here's my day at the zoo. That video has now over 100 million views because it has the novelty factor of being the first video on YouTube. Right. But the thing is, that video still has a factor. Whether it's novelty, it's informative, it's entertaining, it's providing something to an audience that they've either never seen before, or it's something that in some way is engaging or filling something in their life that they don't have. A lot of YouTube right now is actually about wish fulfillment. It's about learning something new or seeing something new, something that you've never seen or been a part of. So as easy as it kind of sounds like, oh, I'm just going to go make a YouTube video, put it out into the ether and, you know, I'm going to get hundreds of thousands of views. It's not like that anymore. Uh, it was for a time, but, you know, there are so many factors at play into what makes a great YouTube video and what also makes a successful YouTube career. So it's interesting you say that there are themes because, I mean, most people would be familiar with the idea of trends. You know, if you're looking sure. at Instagram or if you're looking at Twitter, there's trends and, and those trending topics are the things that everybody is talking about. And so uh, is this concept of themes on YouTube and kind of the, the videos that people are watching right now, uh, would you liken that to trends or are there differentiators between the two? 100%. Uh, I think they can, trends are still something on YouTube. There will always be trends. I mean, we are creatures of comfort. We are creatures of repetition um, and following models. So we'll always have trends. Don't get me wrong there. But the thing with YouTube is, and, and this is really interesting too, because you now have something at play called the algorithm where it will just randomly, and people think it's random, but it's not, will pull up videos from now decades ago. Like, it, how weird is it that we are approaching 20 years of having this platform, and it hasn't gone anywhere. It has only changed and evolved. Where there will be trends, so like, you know, think back to 2013, there was the Harlem Shake, uh, or, you know, God, there was a, a point where everyone was doing ALS ice bucket challenges or, you know, try not to laugh challenges uh, that Markiplier, PewDiePie, like bigger YouTubers were doing. So everyone was trying to get on those bandwagons. You could call those trends and they they are still on YouTube and they will always be there. But what the algorithm is doing now is it's finding ways to improve itself and improve the videos that you actually want to watch based on the trends that are happening now and based on trends that happened in the past. It's looking ahead to think, how can I keep you engaged? So if you can almost be one step ahead of the algorithm, one of the best things that I can suggest people to do of what's trending on YouTube right now is open if you have uh, Google Chrome uh, or Firefox or Safari, whatever, Open an incognito tab, so something that you're not logged in on at all. Go to YouTube and look at the front page and look at the videos that the what is called the mass majority are watching right now or are being suggested to you right now. Because if you go to YouTube right now with your email logged in and all the cookies that you have accepted over the years because Facebook owns you, so on and so forth, those are tailored to you. They're not tailored to everyone else. So, you know, long roundabout kind of answer here. Trends will always be a thing on YouTube, but it's a matter of figuring out 
what trends in the past are dead and gone and more than likely will never be suggested again, but what will come back? Because when you can figure out what can come back and put a new spin on it, that's when you start an entire new snowball of content and you start an entire new engagement process for new content. It's a really brilliant tip to log in on an incognito window and, and actually not log in, but to visit the site in an incognito window yep. and, and see what's going on. It's something I would have never thought about because, yeah, when I log into YouTube now, I see relaxation videos of sea turtles because those yep. are what I watch to put my baby to sleep. Oh, that's that's great. I, I love that. I see barbecue videos, you know, guys with their smokers. Absolutely. And I see Lawrence the band and like yep. literally everything that it's suggesting to me. So I wouldn't think anything about it because it's just showing me what because I want to see. Because YouTube has created a fingerprint for you. The, the algorithm has tailored itself to the Mark Scott. What does Mark Scott want to watch today? And, and this is even time dependent as well. This is kind of the insane thing about the algorithm most people don't think about. They think, oh, it's just, you know, a system to suggest videos that I'm going to want to watch. It's going to want to, it's going to do that 100%. It's going to do that based on time of day and also where you are. Because if you have any amount of cookies, and this is where big data gets kind of creepy and you know <laughs> then we go we, we go into uh, some new territory with you know everything that Edward Snowden brought up in regards to how much our data is actually being utilized by big tech and also foreign governments what's interesting with YouTube is it's time dependent it's content dependent and it's also location dependent if you have in whatever way allowed your location to be viewed by Google Alphabet you know the big tech companies right because they're trying to keep you engaged. So on a content production side, if you can understand that, that YouTube is designed for you to never log off the site, that's when you can kind of say, okay, how do I keep people engaged? So it's a big part of this is being able to look beyond what the site is recommending for you specifically. Correct. And, and more to what YouTube is recommending on a whole or in a general, more broad sense. And look, YouTube is no different than any other social media platform. At the end of the day, we're trying to figure out how to work algorithms. I mean, right. geez, Voice123 is, mm -hmm. is like that now, right? Voice123 is algorithm-driven. And if you want to succeed on the site, it's not just about being able to submit good auditions. It's about understanding how the algorithm works. So YouTube, I'm guessing, has different sets because there's, there's part of it is choosing the content that is going to be presented or the content that is going to be discovered. Right. But then it's also the second largest search engine on the Internet. So there's algorithms around how the search works. So, I mean, you've given us some basic insights already as far as sure. trying to get a sense of, you know, what people are wanting to watch and, and mm -hmm. using that as a way. But are there any other uh, specific basic tips that we can take into consideration for really trying to get a grasp of the algorithm when it comes to creating and posting content of our own? Absolutely. I think first off, what's really great about YouTube now is the fact that most people thought for the longest time, oh, if you're not a big creator on YouTube, if you didn't get in early, you're going to be nothing. That's not true. Big channels will still die on YouTube if they do not continue to innovate. It is such a democratized platform because of the algorithm. Anyone can start so long as they have a great idea, pair it with a great story, message, and a decent understanding of, you know, basic production. What I would suggest for people, you know, some basic tips of 
say you want to start a YouTube channel and you're a voice actor. There are so many voice actors on YouTube right now. And not only are they in different genres and different subsets, you know, some people are making memes where they're dubbing comics and making things that entertain people. That's a, a whole subset. And there are some incredibly talented voice actors. Um, let's see, uh, Luke Corella, uh, who has more than 400,000 subscribers. You have Gianni, um, God, I, I cannot remember his last name for the life of me. And I feel so bad because I love his content so much. Um, but these are guys that every day are putting out a new meme that's like less than 20, 30 seconds. And it's funny and it's different. But then you also have voice actors who are creating content that's tech-based of which microphone should I get um, or audition-based of like five tips to have a great audition or five things you should never do in an audition, for example. You know, there are so many channels like that. So it's a matter then of figuring out, okay, I'm a voice actor. I want to start a VO YouTube channel. That's fine. Cool. Basic idea. What's your twist on it? What is your specific flair? For me on Hi There Hunter, which is my personal channel that has 14K subscribers, I haven't produced anything on that channel of note yet. Everything that I've done on that channel has been passive from my other channels, Limonade, which has 326, 327,000 subscribers, and SCP Explained, which is closing in on 1.5 uh, million. So the thing with that channel is it's primed to be able to grow, but I don't have my message yet. And a lot of what I've been working on going into 2022 is what is going to be my take? Am I going to be another Luke? Am I going to be another uh, Gianni? Or am I going to do something different? So first thing that I would say is have a story, have a message, know what you really want to get across because that core thesis statement, and I'm going to get a little film school here because hi, that's where I started. <laughs> I, you know, I, it's so weird. I went to USC for film production. I got a degree in film production. I made a movie. I sold it to Netflix and what am I doing? I'm voicing memes on the internet. Okay. That's that's it's 2022. We're figuring it out as we go. But, you know, all that said is getting film school here for a second. When you understand your core thesis, your arc of not only your channel, because that's overall growth, but understanding it on a per video basis of what am I taking? That is my core essence, my core being my core story. And how am I doing something new and different every time? And that seems very stressful and it seems very intimidating of like, I have to do something new every time. Well, yeah. But at the same time, if you develop a model, if you develop something where people kind of expect the basic, like, oh, this is the basic structure of my video, but something new, a twist is coming each time. That's when people start to engage because it's something that they know and they're comfortable with, but that they're always on their toes about of, oh, what's the new What's the new joke? What's the new meme? What's the new whatever of what you're doing? So it's always thinking ahead with your channel of your core essence, your core story or theme, and how are you doing something new each time? Are you adding new effects? Uh, if you're doing comic dubs, for example, are you doing impressions? And are you then, you know, somehow pairing it where you redub a scene? So say the Say you do a really good uh, Al Pacino, right? And you then redub a scene from a kid's movie 
for example, but it's Al Pacino voicing the main character and the the kids movie has a really cute animal, right? Okay. But it's Al Pacino. Right. That's funny because you're using something that's your core essence. So say you build an entire channel of impressions and you have an incredible Al Pacino to the point of like people are like, is that actually Al Pacino? You're doing something new, though. You're creating something new every time, but you're still showcasing your core essence. I think that's really important. And, you know, it's interesting. I recently interviewed Stefan Johnson, who has mm. over six million followers on TikTok. An incredible talent. Yeah. And his one of the things that he said that really stood out to me was to to find your opinion and then yes. talk about it. Right. Like yes. everybody's got that one thing. And so it's very similar here. It's also interesting to hear you say that, you know, even the largest, most successful YouTube channels if they're not innovating, if they're not staying on top of what is going on, then they can fade away as well. I'm guessing that it's kind of like how just when you think you've mastered Google SEO and all of the mm -hmm. rules of Google SEO, they come out with an, a new release of rules and it changes everything up yep. again. So it's I, I think it's kind of just to keep it fair. So I'm guessing that's kind of what's going on in YouTube as well, is they're constantly changing things just to give everybody an equal shot to to find their story and find their success on the platform. Is that is that accurate? Ab absolutely accurate. In fact, in the last week, in the uh, early dawn of 2022, the algorithm has changed again. And the algorithm, it, it, here's the weird thing about talking about the algorithm. It almost sounds like this, you know, very Skynet oppressive, you know, entity that no one can really hold on to. It's amorphous. It's, it's lines of code, let's be honest, of what that actually is. But by it being lines of code, it will constantly change and evolve. So, you know, for a really long time, people focused on tags um, for videos. And to a point, tags work, but anything more than 10 tags in a video, it's just going to get lost among the fray. But if you focus on three to five tags in a video that are high impact, and what I mean high impact, I'm saying things that people are already searching for or, you know, things that may not have a ton of competition. So you rise to the top. If you focus on three to five tags, max, literal maximum 10, and they're all high impact, your video is going to trend. Just bare, bare none. So long as it's good quality content and it provides something of value to people, that amount of tags is what people focus on. It is always about quality over quantity. So when I say that the algorithm changed again, there was uh, for a really long time, people focused on this weird, I don't even know how to describe it, like a tag cloud is kind of the word that I used, um, where you had all these big YouTube channels uh, like Linus Tech Tips and Mr. Beast and uh, Jacksepticeye and Markiplier, and they would post in their community tabs, which are almost like, uh, I guess like, I don't even know how to describe it, like partial Twitter, but like it's where you can update and people can comment um, on these posts. And it's just like, it was literally like a one sentence thing where it's like, well, seeing as everyone else is doing it. And it was this massive block of words, of things that people were searching for, like, memes, video games, try not to laugh, PewDiePie, like all these really big tags, but they were cloud words. What people figured out at that time was the algorithm was actually looking for posts with trending keywords. At that time, YouTube was focusing on keywords in descriptions and posts. 
And then the algorithm adapted and evolved and then began to re-suggest those channels. So there was a point actually right after they did this, and this was, I want to say, Q1, like end of Q1 of last year uh, going into Q2, Linus Tech Tips began to get suggested to everyone. And the reason why was because that massive cloud tag was covering everyone's bases. It was covering all of the main hits that most people watch content. Because even though you, Mark Scott, you are so focused on barbecue, you are so focused on relaxing turtle videos for your baby, for example, you still get suggested, I'm willing to bet, you still get suggested tech videos, don't you? Probably, yeah, actually. I think I, but I, I mean, every once in a while I do search for something like that specifically. Exactly, but, exactly. Because once in a while, you've searched for tech. Okay. Meaning that in the background, YouTube has created your own tag system. Right. Of, what, of content you've watched across the board. Okay. There was a point where I, <laughs> I had watched, uh, gosh, I think it was a clip of The Princess Bride uh, for something. I think it was uh, to work on an audition or something. I then got Princess Bride content for three months <laughs> on my homepage. And that's the thing. The tags began to evolve and they began to relate to one another. So the fact that you've searched for tech once means that at some point, that content then got fully suggested to you. And so last year when these tag clouds happened, everyone got inundated by Linus Tech Tips, Mr. Beast, MKBHD, Markiplier, Jacksepticeye, a lot of these people that followed that trend. But the thing here is now people are starting to go away from that. YouTube is starting to re-suggest content that is much more the titles are streamlined and they have a question in them. Uh, there was a really big point where if a YouTube video had an all-caps word in it, for example, it would get suggested more than a video that didn't. And we're kind of getting into some very deep, I guess, data science at this point. And also, it's it's interesting because it's the intersection of data science and human interest almost uh, and human psychology of what is actually going to get someone to click a video versus when they're not. But right now, what we're starting to see with the new algorithm, tag clouds are being phased out. The YouTube does not care. If you have something, though, a properly structured description of your video that mentions, mentions tags that are related back to your core content, you're going to get more suggested. So what I'm suggesting to people right now, if you really want to optimize your videos, clean up your tags, clean up your descriptions, make your titles as streamlined as possible. But make sure that they're engaging. Make sure that they have something that people are actually going to want to watch. Or the it, it mentions a, a question or a it just has some amount of a setup. YouTube now is suggesting content that has a setup where it's, can I do blank? I tried this, this happened. Where it's immediate problem and then suggesting the solution, for example. And this is kind of getting into, again, very nuanced things. And it also depends on your content because some people may not care. They may just put out content and for whatever reason, they are the small percentage where it will just trend. 
Right. Those are outliers. All data has outliers. But I think what's interesting now is what we're seeing is more streamlined descriptions, more streamlined tags that all relate back to one another. Because if you make voiceover stuff and you tag PewDiePie, you're not going to trend for that. No one's going to care because you're outside of the data set. You want to focus on the data set that you know you'll trend for. If you start making content that gets pretty popular, and I'm saying, you know, you're at the level of Mr. Beast or Mark Rober or something like that, then sure, yeah, maybe you can branch out and you can have some more general tags. But even so, gone are the days where you can trend jack based on tags rather than ideas. And I can get into that in a little bit of trend jacking, which is a very hypey word on YouTube. And I hate the fact that I just said that, but it's true. Trend jacking is a tried and true method on YouTube to get content to trend. And there are so many case studies for people who trend jacked and then became big YouTubers in themselves. It's interesting listening to you talk about some of this stuff because, I mean, titles with a question, that sure. makes sense to me, right? Yeah. Because what are we doing nine out of 10 times when we're on YouTube or even in Google search, right? What are we doing? We're typing in a question. Mm -hmm. And so if you're typing in a question and then the result comes back and, and the result that comes back is, you know, the title of the video is the question that you asked, stands to reason that you're going to watch it. So that part makes sense to me. The tagging thing is really interesting, too, because Instagram actually recently went through a very similar change where with Instagram, you've always been able to put in up to 30 hashtags in an Instagram post. But, yep. but they've recently made a, a similar change where they've said like three to five tags max. You can still put in 30 but everything beyond those first couple just kind of becomes irrelevant noise at that point. And, and I think this is a good thing because I think it does cause us to be more intentional and, and more focused in the content that we're creating. And, and the more that we can narrow down the audience that we ultimately really want to try to reach, I think the easier it makes it for us as content creators to come up with content for that audience. So, I mean, I, I see this as a, as a good transition and uh, it makes sense. I mean, for somebody who's been doing YouTube for a long time and, you know, they've figured out all these different ways to hack the system, I can see where it's probably going to tick some of those people off. But yes, but at the end of the day, it, it, it actually does make sense to me. There are so many different ways for you to market yourself as a voice actor, and there's no one right way and there's no one wrong way. There's just a lot of different tools and a lot of different resources that are available to you, whether that is in the form of email, taking advantage of a social media platform like LinkedIn, getting out there in your community and, and finding opportunities right there in your own backyard. There's a lot of different ways that a voice actor can market themselves. And if marketing is something that you struggle with, it's something that I would love to help you with. I want to help you get better at finding your own leads, and building your own client base. I wanna help you be more confident in marketing your voiceover services so that you can get out there and you can grow your business. I offer a wide range of marketing resources for voice actors from video courses to resources like email templates and even private one-on-one -on -one coaching. If this is an area of your business where you struggle, it's an area where I can help you. Check out all the different offerings at markscottcoaching.com, including the opportunity to sign up for a free 15-minute consultation where I can give you a little bit of advice, maybe point you in a direction. Check it all out at markscottcoaching.com. That's M-A-R-C-S-C-O-T-T, coaching.com. Now, back to our show. Let's do a little bit of talk on content creation then. And I, I sure. mean, you, you touched on this a little bit that, you know, we got to find our, find our voice and figure out who our audience is. And so... 
for the voice actor who is trying to create a, a YouTube channel and, and trying to get a following, I guess there's a couple of things I'm wondering. First and foremost, I think a lot of people assume that they've got to have thousands of subscribers to make it worthwhile. What, what do you Absolutely say to that? Not. Absolutely not. No, no. Because the idea that you need thousands of YouTube subscribers to be on YouTube to make impactful content is a terrible assumption. And it's exactly that. It is an assumption because for so long people thought, oh, on YouTube, you need to have a following to make an impact. No, because all those YouTubers started at zero and they grew into a channel. So for the voice actor out there that said, my 2022 resolution is make a YouTube channel, start a YouTube channel. Hey, first off, good on you. I'm proud of you for setting that intention because hell, I'm doing that right now with the Hi There Hunter channel because it's like, oh, I should probably actually do something with this. But no, the, the first thing here is you do not, you should not start with thousands of subscribers because if you do, you're setting yourself up for failure right. because you're thinking about your audience rather than your content. And the second that you do that, you fail. Okay, that's interesting. It, so... I guess part of it too then is is all of that energy and effort that you would focus on stressing over building up your channel following and and trying to get more subscribers and all that sort of stuff really if you if you took some of that energy and attention and focus and shifted it just towards understanding the algorithm and doing mm -hmm. some of these other things that you've talked about like when you're creating your content you know learning how to write a good title learning how to write a good description learning how to use the the appropriate tags and stuff like that then whether you've got five subscribers or 500 subscribers or 5,000 subscribers, if you're doing those foundational things right, you've got a much better chance at actually having your content discovered. Is, is that fair to say? That is 100% fair to say. And, and I want to be really clear here. It's really good to understand the algorithm, and I, I want people to understand the algorithm. It is phenomenal to understand the core mechanic behind YouTube. Great, sure. Focus on your content. For the love of God, focus on your content first. Don't focus on anything but making great videos and engaging videos. And I, I do this for myself, with my friends and family. I show them videos or I'll give them concepts and I will watch them. I, either if it's reading an outline or watching the video, I'm watching for their, the moment where they're picking up their phone or they're not fully engaged because if they're not fully engaged, it's not a good video or I need to change something. Focus on your content first, then focus on the algorithm. And when I also say content, I mean titles, I mean description, I mean thumbnails. Those three as well, that's going to lead to a good video because it's all about the engagement afterwards but if you start and it again this is going back to film school here for a second it's about story right if you have a great story if you have something that people are actually going to want to watch not only are they going to want to watch it once they're going to watch it twice they're going to send it to people they're going to actually post it for you that's engagement that no one can buy because that engagement is authentic and you know as much as gary v kind of shouts authenticity off the rooftops and it gets old the dude's got a point mm -hmm. in that regard if your content isn't actually engaging with people isn't actually authentic coming from you if you have designed content in a factory to go viral it may go viral but is it actually going to be good 
Is it actually going to be something that you can stand behind and is part of your personal brand? This is interesting because you bring up, you know, we keep talking about make good content, right? You keep mm-hmm. telling us focus on making great content. Yeah. I want to define this a little bit and I'm, I'm curious sure. what your thoughts are on this because for somebody listening who's not proficient with YouTube, they could say, okay, this is great Hunter, but you know, you went to film school and you sold a movie <laughs> to Netflix. And so obviously you know how to create a great video. When mm. we're talking about creating a great video, yeah, I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, we're talking about the content of the video as far as the messaging and the story of the video, not strictly yes. full-blown production value per se, right? Like it, you it, can make a great video just talking into the camera on your phone, correct? Exactly. Exactly. And also, if there's a voice actor out there who's looking at buying a camera, if you're starting a YouTube channel and you're looking at buying a camera that is above, I'd say, $1,000 in value, stop. You have the best camera in in almost human history in your pocket. Mm-hmm. And let's let's think about really big YouTubers here for a second, and let's talk about their content and their production value. What are they shooting on? If we're going to get technical, if we're going to talk about cameras here for a second, let's talk about cameras. Because, yeah, it's about the actual video on screen. Mr. Beast, for example, he has said this multiple times where all of the cameras that he uses are Sony Handycams and phones, people's iPhones. If he has people that are involved in a challenge, he asks them and they'll give them little like uh, tripod rigs with little um, iPhone holders to shoot on their phones because that's more engaging than a full-blown Hollywood production. Don't get me wrong, seeing those, you know, really polished music videos are cool and they're really entertaining. But let's talk about when production value gets in the way of the content. YouTube for the longest while has been doing something called YouTube Rewind. And in the beginning, it was pretty fun. And you know, they brought in all of their biggest creators and they got together and we're going to make a big video with everyone. The problem is we're corporate America and we don't know how to actually tell a story and it's going to end up being a cringe fest. The best example of high production value content, but terrible, terrible quality of content is the 2018 YouTube Rewind. Because if you look at that, they spent millions and I emphasize millions of dollars on that content and it looks great but it's entirely vapid why do i care why would i care even if it has some of the biggest creators that i like and i watch when i say make great content i say focus on story focus on a setup a problem a potential solution and then a resolution One of the greatest books that I suggest everyone read, if you want to be a content creator, if you want to be a filmmaker, also if you want to be an actor, because let's be honest, voice acting. Read this book, Save the Cat. If you haven't already, go out there, read it. This is like film school 100 at this point. This isn't even 101. But it breaks down Hollywood storytelling and the idea of act arcs. It is so incredibly important to understand that if you want to make content, because if you can take what essentially would be a Hollywood arc of a two-hour movie and put that into a 10-minute movie, you have something that can be so powerful. 
And I want to go back to Mr. Beast here, and I know I've talked about him a lot uh, this time around, but he is one of the biggest, most profitable creators on the platform right now. And the reason why is his main channel, his production value is great. Don't get me wrong. He has big sets with these, you know, kind of like almost consumer level cameras to give it, you know, that sense of authenticity that this is actually happening. But if you look at the narrative, he has a team of writers of people that are comedy writers um, and people that have Hollywood experience. One of my very good friends is a writer for Beast and they structure their videos where in the first three to five seconds, it's the setup. It's uh, I bought a private island and seven people are going to compete for it. That is the quickest way to get into a video set up. The entire video has been explained. By yep. the end of this video, someone's getting a private island. I want to know who. Yep. That's your setup. The problem, I have a series of challenges. They have to stay here for 24, 48, whatever it is, hours. Whoever's last here and doesn't get on that boat to leave wins the island. That's the problem, and that's the immediate setup into what's the rest of this 8-minute, 10-minute video. So let's walk that back here for a second. If we're talking about a voice actor in their booth or in their closet or at their desk of, you know, what's the content that you're going to focus on? If you're going to make tutorial content, what's the problem that you've had that you would love to share um, a tip with people of, you know, say, uh, how to get better sounding auditions in Adobe Audition? And your intro for that is, here are three presets that you have right now that will make your auditions sound better than 99% of auditions. For example, that is a five-second opener that immediately tells me exactly what I'm watching. It's a total and hook. It's a total hook. Yeah. If you have your hook up front, I'm I'm talking about no intros. And you know, I'm also kind of a hypocrite here where on Limonade, I introduce myself every single time. But that's also my hook of why hello there to you, my dear, fine, beautiful audience friends. It's Hunter here, and I brought you memes. Where it's like, that's my hook, that's my setup. It may take a little bit longer than most YouTubers, but I've established that hook. Right. If you're a newer creator and you are just starting out and you're trying to figure out your hook or your, you know, kind of value proposition up front, tell people why they should watch this video. Yeah. Tell people what the thesis of this video is. And also, you know, find moments in your videos where you can inject a bit of humor, a personal story, something that makes you feel like a human being, not just, oh, I don't know, an artificial construct. Because so many people on YouTube, and there's a great history of this, of the YouTube persona versus the personal persona. I have tried to craft my identity on YouTube such that it is a one-to-one -one representation of who I am on that platform is who I am in real life. I mean, obviously, there are moments where I'll get a little bigger, a little sillier, but 95% of that humor, like, for example, on Limonade, that's me. And on Hi There Hunter, you know, the content that I've planned out for the next year, I have the next 18 months of my content written out of video ideas of, you know, how I've been structuring these. And I'm excited to, you know, kind of look at the end of the year of, did I actually execute? And I think I hopefully should, uh, based on what I know now. Um, but all that kind of said, 
If you don't focus on your hook, if you don't focus on the core story, if you're making, and this is only if you're really making content that's over, I'd say five to eight minutes. If you're doing short little, you know, VO memes, for example, or like you're dubbing uh, YouTube uh, or you're dubbing other videos for YouTube, like with the example I gave earlier, you know, that's an entirely different strategy. But if you're focused on YouTube as a creator, if you're focused on YouTube as anything but, you know, that that short kind of aspect, and also now that I'm thinking about it, we should definitely talk about YouTube shorts at some point. Um, but all that said, focus on your hook, focus on getting people to the end of the video, because that first five seconds are the most important part of your content. I think it's really important to note and, and just I mean, first and foremost, everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a take. Everybody's yep. got a perspective. Everybody's got an opinion. So we've removed that excuse when it comes to the content creation side. I know my YouTube channel is not by any means uh, the results of, or, or an example of a you know hugely successful YouTube channel, but I can tell you that I make my videos with my iPhone and a $50 ring light that I bought on Amazon Prime Day. And only mm -hmm. recently did I add a you know $200 wireless microphone into the setup. So there's not a lot of excuses as far as equipment because everybody's got a phone, so everybody can do some of this stuff. So the, yeah. a lot of the common barriers that we use as excuses we're, we're kind of taking away here. Now, we've talked a little bit about this, and I, I will get into YouTube Shorts because I do have a question about that. Sure. With so many of these social media platforms, there are limits that we play within. You know, it's a character limit on Twitter or different things like that. With YouTube, you can post a video that's 30 seconds or 30 minutes or 30 hours. Yep. Is there a sweet spot or does it depend on the content itself? There is a sweet spot in general, but it does depend on the content. Because here's the thing, you know, you have... Let's like big let's play YouTubers, Markiplier, for example, who will release videos that are 20, 30 minutes long and he'll have great video retention. And there will also be videos that will trend that are like 45, 50 minutes long. There's this guy, um, I gosh, I wish I remember the name of his channel. He's a DIY refurbishment guy who normally focuses on cars and a video of his went very viral. He only has like 80,000 subscribers only. And, but, you know, his videos were doing like 5,000, 10,000 views. And then he released a video where it was, if I can get this plane working, I can have it for free. And he did 6 million views in 48 hours. Wow. And that changed his channel. Yeah. And I am, first off, a giant plane nerd. So, like, you know, this is content that is right out of like a yes give me more please but also that video that first video is an hour and 16. it is a long video but because he's going step by step of oh well this isn't working so this is working you know so maybe i need to do x y and z thing but you see his thought process and it is so authentic to him if he had made a 10-minute video summating all the problems and the one success, yeah, the video probably would have done decent, but because he as a YouTuber and he as a talent and personality on YouTube, if you look at all of his videos, they're long. They're like 45, 50 hour. This dude focuses on long-form content. That's great, and that's wor what works for him. Going back, though, to Sweet Spot, 
I would say anything above 12 minutes is too long right now. There was a point on YouTube where 10 minutes plus was kind of the sweet spot where you could add, you know, ads and uh, you had decent retention rate, but everyone was focusing on the 10 minute sweet spot. I would say I'd actually up it a little bit. I would say maximum length your content right now, if you are trying to grow a channel, 15 minutes in length. Focus on content that is between five and eight minutes long. Okay. Five and eight, uh, maximum 10. Um, if you want to get to 12, go for it. Like if you really need it. But, you know, focusing on a five minute video, because people are more likely to watch 35 minute videos or say 10, 10 minute videos than they are to binge Netflix. Like, it's a very weird psychology thing, but when you place big number or a bunch of small numbers in front of people of, hey, which one do you want to watch? You want to watch the one really long thing or do you want to watch a bunch of really short things? This is how people scroll on TikTok for six hours, like it, what I did yesterday, and I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, whenever I'm watching videos, and this is kind of the lie that I tell myself, I'm understanding what people are posting right now. And it's how I can then get a sense of this is what people are actually interested in. It's interesting because, you know, you think about attention span and we think that, you know, mm -hmm. we, we don't have attention span anymore. And that's why a platform like TikTok does so well, because the videos are short. But, you know, if you've got decent content and by decent content, that's, you know, a good story or you're sharing good information, you're adding value in some way. You know, maybe people will stick around for five minutes or 10 minutes or, you know, or talent. Yeah. Like, or talent. OK. Yeah. And, and maybe they'll stick around up to 12 minutes. Just recently, I did a YouTube search for pouring how to pour a concrete foundation for a for a shed, yeah. and I found this one video, and I totally misread the length of the video, and I I thought it was like four minutes, and I was like, all right, well let let me just watch this. Thirty eight minutes later, <laughs> like literally, I'm like, man, this is a, this is a really long four minutes, and then I click down and I look, I'm like, I've been watching this for thirty eight minutes. Yep. But it made me, I, I thought of it because it was very similar to the video you talked about with the guy with the plane, right? Like, I literally was watching him try to do things, and this is a contractor, and, you know, something doesn't go as planned, and he's got to reevaluate and try again, and, you know, he's walking through step by step. But I was like, holy crap, I just sat and watched this video for 38 minutes. It's yep. actually like a three and a half hour long video when I, when I ultimately looked at it. Oh, my God. Haven't watched the whole thing, but, man, <laughs> if, I mean, if I need to know how to build a shed, you know, there it is, but... So it does go to show, though, that there is a place for a wide range of, of content as far as 100% for all of the timing. So then yes. let's get into that, because YouTube recently introduced shorts. You mentioned yep. it. I'm yep. assuming this is their answer to TikTok. It so is. talk to us about how YouTube shorts works and how that could sure. be a tool for voice actors. The wonderful thing about YouTube shorts now is that because there are disparate platforms for uh, short form nine by 16 content. So let's just kind of get some terms out of the way really quick. 16 by nine is uh, landscape 1920 by 1080. Nine by 16 is portrait, TikTok, Snapchat, uh, Instagram reels, YouTube shorts. So first off, YouTube Shorts is a wonderful way for the algorithm to continually suggest content to you because now they have even more data points for videos that are sub 60 seconds. So very similar to TikTok, sub 60 seconds, 
um, short titles, uh, I'd say max three hashtags, uh, but it is the definition of the infinite scroll. But the interesting thing with YouTube's algorithm is it does one thing differently than TikTok, at least that I've noticed. If you find something in the infinite scroll that piques your eye that you watch at least twice. So I'm saying if you find something that's really funny, like you find a really funny dog video and you watch it two, three times and, you know, you refresh or maybe you click the page. YouTube is then going to assume whenever you open shorts, you're going to watch that person's content first and you're going to want to watch more of their content, meaning in the, I'd say 30 videos, so 30 minutes worth of content in that infinite scroll, they are more than likely going to suggest at least 30 or 40% of that is going to be the creator that you either watched multiple times of one video or clicked their page. So that's incredibly important to understand. The other thing here to understand is native posting. And what I mean by native posting is creating assets, creating videos that are nine by 16. One of my biggest channels, in fact, my biggest channel that I work with right now is uh, SCP Explained. And we do seven shorts a week now that are all sub 60 um, that relate back to main content, but they are designed for native posting in 9x16. They are made in aspect ratio 1080 by 920. And I know that's a bit technical and I can get into that in a second, but YouTube favors content that is properly formatted for shorts. And the same thing goes for TikTok as well. So if you have a video that you shot in widescreen, for example, 1920 by 1080, and you try and do a cut down and you're basically cutting off the sides of your video and you it's not properly formatted, that's actually going to negatively affect you. But if you are shooting your video with the understanding that, oh, I'm going to take some sections of this five minute video and I'm going to make two cutdowns from it in nine by 16 of the two funniest or the two most engaging parts that people are going to want to watch, that's then looping them back to the main video and feeding into the system. So if you format your video where you're framing it up front when you're shooting the video in 9x16, more than likely your content's going to get suggested more than anyone else. So SCP Explained, for example, is entirely animated. So they have, you know, kind of the upper hand when it comes to creating native assets, when it comes to operating in 9x16, because their assets are already mostly built. And so if we're doing a video, um, SCP-079 versus SCP-682, for example, um, which would never happen, but that's total lore that we can get into another time. They can already say, all right, blue backdrop, text here, text here, already built in Premiere, exported out, ready to go, drop in the VO, let's, you know, and export it and all that good stuff. But by focusing on those verticals, you are doing yourself a great service by making sure your main video has cut downs that can then continually suggest people to watch more of your content. And I would also say with shorts, it's kind of important to do things that are uh, 15 seconds or 30 seconds. If you're on TikTok right now, YouTube, I haven't really noticed uh, this, but you know, there are a lot of people that will take, take TikToks and then repost them to YouTube and they'll do okay. 
Um, they'll do decent, especially if you have a following. But I have noticed a slight trend where if you take YouTube shorts and then take them to TikTok so they don't have the watermarks already um, on the YouTube side, I have noticed that those videos have done slightly better, just in my own research. It's interesting. I mean, a lot of it comes back to just playing by the rules of the platform, right? And mm -hmm. sometimes we're looking for the easiest way to do things. So we create one piece of content and then we figure out how to just push that one piece of content to all of our different platforms. Right. But it actually is in our best interest if our goal is to get more eyes on our content. If you're going to create it, you create it in the right aspect ratio and you create it in the proper formats for YouTube or for TikTok or for Instagram right. or for LinkedIn or, or whatever it is. It's just a lot of it is just playing by the rules of the platform, which means having a basic understanding of the rules of the platform. Yep. There, there's so many different ways that YouTube can be used. And I mean, I tell voice actors at a bare minimum, at a bare minimum, create some kind of video version of your demos, even if it's just a video that has your logo and your email address for the visual. But you've got, you know, your your the audio track is underneath of it. It's something just to get it into YouTube because it is the second largest search engine on the internet, yep. and and so it's it's absolutely worth having it there. But then, you know, taking it a step further and realizing that, you know, maybe I do have a unique spin on this, or maybe I do have a unique take on this, or, yep. you know, maybe it's the way that you do things in your booth, or maybe it's the how you break down a script, or how you approach an audition, or, you know, it's a story of, I tried this thing in my marketing, and this is the, the result that happened, or whatever right. it is. I mean, we've all got things that we can talk about. We've all got things that we can share. And it just becomes another channel and another opportunity that's out there. Now, I know we're running long on time, but I there is one question, one pressing question that I sure. know a lot of voice actors will, will want to ask about, and that is monetization on YouTube. Yep. They, the rules changed on that a couple of years ago because I actually had a monetized platform for a while, and then yep. they set the benchmarks so much higher and yep. so now I don't have a monetized platform and I'm miles away from getting a monetized platform. Give us a little bit of a breakdown of, of that so that we can have a clear understanding. If you think you're sure. just going to create your channel and make money off of it. No, you are not. Yeah. Um, the, the holy grail on YouTube is having a channel that consistently makes money and will consistently grow. Membership, subscriber count, so on and so forth. I say memberships because I literally logged into uh, YouTube studio right now just to look at the monetization rules because the overview of what can and can't be monetized, there's not a ton that has changed recently, but when the, when the rules changed uh, and you lost your monetization, it's because YouTube added in new thresholds essentially. So, the minimum to allow monetization is 1,000 subscribers, adding two-step verification, zero community guideline strikes. This is really important. Producing content that doesn't have a ton of swears in it, doesn't have, you know, graphic or anything that they can deem as community violating. And then on top of that, and this is the big one, 4,000 public watch hours. And why I say that's the big one, Watch hours are the bare metric for a lot of advertisers and also YouTube 
of if a channel actually has engagement. So if you have a YouTube channel and you have 50 subscribers and your three or four demos on there and you have a total of maybe a thousand views, you're not going to get monetized anytime soon. But if you have a steadily growing channel where you have released multiple videos that are between two to five, maybe up to 10 minutes in length. And you know, you have some decent engagement now and you've hit the thousand uh, subscribers, you've got two factor authentication uh, and you don't have any guideline strikes and you get close on your public watch hours. Once you hit that 4,000 watch hours, you are green. You are absolutely golden to start monetizing. But the problem with that is everyone thinks, oh, every view is a, is a penny. Not exactly, uh, because there's something called CPM and RPM, which is cost per millier and revenue per millier. Cost per millier is basically the per thousand views that advertisers are willing to pay for basically the space on your channel. If you have high engagement and you have high retention and watch hours, then yeah, your RPM is going to be way up there. Limonade, even though we're not a big channel, we're in the top 1% of CPM on YouTube just because of our dedicated fan base. But your basically your net, so if CPM is your gross, your net is your revenue per millier, which is, I would say, about a half or a third of that CPM number. And so if you're only getting about, say, 1,000, 2,000 views a month, uh, yeah, your revenue, you're probably only going to be seeing maybe like four or five bucks. Don't think just because you got monetized that you're going to be making 10, 20, 30 thousand dollars a month like some creators are. The people that are making six figures on YouTube right now, they're doing at least, I'd say, five to 10 million views a month. Um, you know, I would say with one of the channels that was actually the parent channel of Limonade, or is the parent channel of Limonade, Mimonade, that channel averages about 35 million views a month, which is insane. SCP is somewhere close to that as well, but the parent channel of SCP is the infographics show. That channel does 100 million views a month because not only of their mass backload of content, you know, backlog of content, but also they put out a video every single day, if not sometimes two videos a day. So they have a ton of data points. But the thing is, their production teams, they're set up for that. They're set up to absolutely revolutionize how things are done and how content is produced at quality and at scale. But if you're just starting out, it seems really overwhelming and your eventual goal is to make money on YouTube, have it be that, an eventual goal. Do not set out on your YouTube journey with the idea of, I'm going to be a millionaire on YouTube. That's not the goal. The reason why I bring this up is, I mean, I want people to have realistic expectations. I mean, I've got mm -hmm. 27 or 2,800 followers or subscribers on my YouTube channel. You right? have I'm well over that, but 2,750. I've been looking at your channel while we've been talking. There you go. But my watch yeah. hours are like 1,400. And exactly. So I've got a lot of videos, but they're shorter videos. Yeah. I'm still in the process of learning how to do tagging and descriptions and, and, thumbnails and and titles and all of this sort of stuff. So yeah. I've been slowly going back through older videos that I have and, and, you know, refreshing tags and titles and stuff like that. And so I think I'll be able to ultimately drive up a little bit, but 
the point is I'm creating content on a regular basis. I'm just about putting a video. I'm usually putting one or two videos on my channel every single week and I'm still mm. that far away. And so I, I, I bring this up because I want people to have realistic expectations, but yeah, monetization through YouTube in the form of advertising isn't the only way to monetize the platform, right? Correct. By building your, by building your platform, by establishing your authority and your credibility, by growing your brand, by getting yourself out there more, part of the monetization hopefully comes in that recognition and people ultimately wanting to work with you. And so there, yes. there are, there's more than one way to take advantage of monetization on YouTube. When you can finally break through on YouTube and you begin to, you know, have traction and engagement and yeah, you have clients coming in or even sponsorships. Like, you know, I can now say that I've worked with NordVPN and Manscaped and some pretty large Fortune 100 brands that have sponsored the channels that I've, you know, been a voice of. Um, and I know we've, we haven't even really scratched the surface of how do you become a channel voice or, you know, what's it like working with multiple clients on YouTube? What's YouTube localization? What's dubbing? You know, there, YouTube is such an incredible platform that I feel like, you know, to sum it up in like one, one hour podcast is doing it a disservice because it, it's still to this day, there's so much opportunity. Yeah. And that's, if there's one thing you take away from whatever I've said today, my rambling, there is so much opportunity as a voice actor and a content creator on YouTube to this day. That will never change. And I think that's, I mean, that's it. It's looking at it for what it is. It's another potential platform. Exactly. It's another area to get yourself out there. It's another area to build a name. And honestly, I think we're going to have to do another interview because this one, we focused primarily on the creation side. We did. I really think that we could do an entirely separate interview on finding voiceover opportunities and, you know, diving in a little bit more to the, the work that you're doing as a voice of, of YouTube channels and stuff like that. I think that's sure. a, I think that's a whole other episode that we need to dive into, but for now sure. let's, let's leave it with the content creation side and hopefully inspiring some people to maybe give YouTube a shot where they haven't really thought about it before, because there are definitely some opportunities out there. So definitely if somebody wants to find you online, uh, particularly on your YouTube channel, where where sure. do we go to find you, Hunter? So uh, we'll do we'll do the uh, big old tree. Uh, if uh, if you want to see memes, go to uh, youtube.com forward slash c forward slash limonade. Uh, that's me, your dear meme friend, Hunter. If you want to watch anything involving SCP, Secure, Contain, Protect, I'm the voice of SCP Explained, Story and Animation. My personal channel is Hi There Hunter. Um, and if you want to work with me uh, and you want to learn more about YouTube, you know, have an audit of your YouTube channel, or even if you just want to have a chat, feel free to reach out to me on my website, uh, hbpeterson.com. Uh, we're actually launching a whole side of the site that's just focused on YouTube. But yeah, that's kind of where you find me right now. And, um, Hopefully, uh, there's some pretty big things coming out in the next uh, few weeks, so uh, stay tuned. All right, man. Well, I will include all of that information in the show notes so people can go Amazing. in and they can find all of those links and check those things out. But uh, sure. thank you so much for all of the information that you shared. You've given me a lot to consider. Just when I thought that I was starting to figure things out as far as descriptions and tags and all of that sort of stuff, of course, YouTube has to go change the freaking algorithm, so now i got to 
learn some stuff all over again. But that's part of the fun of it all, too, I guess. Here's And here's the thing, you know, if someone's listening to this in 2023, 2024, or even you're listening to this in March of 2022, more than likely the algorithm's going to change again. <laughs> and it's a, it's a matter of making good to- content that you can relate to. And that's it, right? Focus, if you're focusing more on the content, less on the algorithm, uh, you know, it, eventually people will find what you are looking for. Well, thank you so much, Precisely. Hunter. Thank you for the information that you've shared and thank you for your time today. I really do appreciate it. Mark, thank you so much for having me and looking forward to uh, potentially chatting more about this in the future. I've had the opportunity to interview a lot of different people about various social networks. I've talked to Alexia Kambu about using Instagram. I've talked to Stefan Johnson about using TikTok. I've talked to Jun Yoon about using Twitter. Now, here's Hunter telling us about how to use YouTube. And, and one theme that is consistent across the board with all of these different social media platforms is being authentic to you and really identifying your audience. And if you can figure out who your audience is and how to reach them with content that they find valuable, humorous, informative, whatever it is, and you can do that in an authentic way, then you can really grow a platform for yourself on any one of these social media channels, and YouTube is no different. If you've enjoyed this episode, if you've picked up some things from this episode, if you've learned something new that you want to try on YouTube, let us know. I'd love to hear about it, and I know Hunter would too. Tag us in your Instagram stories. You can tag Hunter Peterson. It's at Hi there, Hunter. And I'll put that in the show notes. And you can tag me at Mark Scott. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know that you're listening. And we would love to know that you are learning. I can't wait to see what you come up with on YouTube. I already know that I'm going back and revisiting some of my old YouTube videos to try to find ways to make them better within the platform itself. And to be implementing some of the information that I picked up from this episode and YouTube videos coming forward in the future. I hope that you do the same too. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll catch you on the next one. The Everyday Vopreneur Podcast. Available everywhere fine podcasts are given away for free. Mostly, we think. Having your voiceover demos easily playable and downloadable on your website is essential. The VoiceAM player lets you do that across any device and browser. There are also options for adding play buttons in your email signature, tracking your listens, and even putting videos in your demo player. Sign up now at voicesam.com slash markscott and receive an instant $25 credit. For full details and to claim this offer, visit voicesam.com slash markscott. And see. And that's a wrap. Thanks for hanging in. Thanks for hanging out. Want more VOPreneur goodness? Jump online at vopreneur.com.